Greetings programs, welcome to Animatronic, the podcast talking about episodes of Disney's animated television show, Tron Uprising. My name is Duncan Shields, host of Tronologically Speaking, the movie-by-minute podcast talking about 1982's movie, Tron. And I'm Courtney Coulson, reviewing Tron Legacy one minute at a time on Legacy Minute. Episode 17. Yes, and here we are in the... Venn diagram overlap that is Tron Uprising. And today is episode 17, and it's the one we've all been waiting for, the one we've just been sitting on the edge of our seats for. It's called Rendezvous, and Beck goes on a date with Paige. Beige forever, beige. I ship it. Yeah, <laughs> as we've been, we've been referring to them as beige, and I'm just fantastically into it. It's fantastic. Yep. I never really noticed Paige the first time I watched this, but now, yeah, marry me. <laughs> yeah, and she looks a little bit like Jennifer Esposito. I was getting some in her profile. I was getting a little little hints of that in places, but she's got a very unique, she's got her own face. Oh, yeah, hang on. i got to look. Can't get a picture in my head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? A little bit, you know? Definitely. Yeah. So uh, we get the recap flashback to start with, and it involves the super disc that Shaw made a long time ago, which we have seen hide nor hair of in quite some time, except we saw it heal a little bit, and then that was the last we saw of it. So I'm happy to see that's back. And we get to see Paige flirting with Beck in the train episode that we just just got past. So those are the I two do love that the, the previously on is basically telling you what is going to be in the episode. It's like, oh, I wonder if that's going to be relevant to yeah, this time. Right? Right? Yeah, it's not just last time. It's like, this is what's going to happen. So it's, uh, it's kind of nice. Hmm. So we open up on the first fight Paige and Beck had being replayed in Tron's hideout over and over in the dark. Beck is zooming it's in. It's not what it looks like. Yeah, what does Beck, it look like? Beck is zooming in on her face and Tron comes in and oh wait slams slams the laps the laptop shut or whatever, you know. Everything's fine. It turns on the light. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah, uh the the trick is to uh not say that because then it looks exactly like what it looks like. Yeah. I was just brushing my hair or whatever they that's funny stuff. So Tron is uh, teasing Beck about his upcoming date while Beck did that's not a date and like denies that it's a date and, uh, and goes starts preening. Yeah, fixing his hair in the mirror. And then Tron actually starts attacking him physically, which is pretty intense here. Tron just sort of casually starts abusing Beck, just <laughs> starts, oh yeah, well, <laughs> dodge this and starts punching him. Oh, okay. So he's like, your hair's fine. It's your stance that's all over the place. So he's yeah. like, you got to prioritize being the renegade and whatever. He doesn't know how to be any other kind of dad other than this, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. He's very physical. He doesn't He doesn't use his words. <laughs> no, his dad game needs a bit of work, I think. <laughs> but Beck reveals that he's going to try to turn Paige to... No, that's his... Abel's department, remember? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's Abel's department. Abel's the yeah. the other dad. Oh, my two dads. But it's uh, Abel, <laughs> Abel and Tron. I like it. Yep. What are these feelings I'm having? Go talk to your other father. Go talk to Abel. He's better with this. <laughs> I don't have feelings. Let's uh, let's wrestle. I don't I don't care. <laughs> so Tron is like, hey, it's your funeral. You want to go uh, try to turn page? Fill your boots. But it's a bad idea. 
So you don't so, know Tron. You don't know. <laughs> and then uh, so Beck and Page are hang. We we cut to their date, and they're hanging out the side of a chopper about to skydive, and we get something really wild here. Uh, this is something that I'm really I was really shocked about. Page says. I bet this is the first. This is the first time. I bet this is your first time taking a nosedive out of a helicopter, and Beck turns to the camera. Yes. Totally breaks a fourth wall and gives a little Ferris Bueller raised eyebrow and a knowing yeah. nod. And I'm like, what? 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 What just happened? I don't think that's happened yet in this entire. How long series. have you known, Beck? How long, right? long have you known I was here? Oh my God, I got to put a shirt on. You've been watching me this whole time. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was just. It was a very interesting beat. So I was like, I don't. I don't remember that happening before in the series. So I, I thought that was kind yeah. of a wild thing to bust out in like episode seventeen. You know, as a strange maybe that call. was going to be a bigger part of uh, season two. Put that in our notes. That uh, yeah. it's going to be more fourth wall breaks. <laughs> more fourth wall breaks. He was going to be. Go down the Deadpool route, you know? Yeah, and, and then season three is literally just some kind of AI that you have to interact with. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to be breaking new frontiers here, man. Uh, I, I love it. <laughs> what was your experience of season three like? Oh, it was amazing. What was your experience of season three like? You know, everybody has their own unique time. <sighs> yes. We got to, it's going to happen one day, probably. Oh, I hope so. They tried During that with, line uh, between game and show, yes. Was it season four? three or season four of uh black mirror black called... mirror did it yeah true ba- bandersnatch where you got it. it was kind of a choose your own adventure thing that was pretty cool i didn't I realize like... how many options there were so i played it through the first time to went eh. and then i watched all these reviews and I went oh oh wow i didn't <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty wild i thought it was very ambitious i think a lot of people couldn't roll with it but i was uh i was pretty impressed uh, yeah i'm happy with the with the experiment that's the thing most Things like that. There's there's some video games like the Quantic Dream games. Yeah, I, they might not succeed all the time, but I'm glad someone's trying something weird. Yeah, you're like good for you. You know, well done. Um, so this is uh, pretty much the coolest first date ever, right? Uh, yeah, they jump out of the they jump out of the chopper and they skydive, and they fly through the clouds and they're they're flirting in the air. It's wild. Paige is wife material. Oh my god, <laughs> she's got these little wings on her helmet, like the wasp. Yeah, she got little her... horns. It's so great. She's yeah. got Ant Man helmet. Or like, uh, like Hermes, like the great god Hermes or something. She's got little wings on her helmet. Yeah, and then I love this bit where he takes a stance with his arms crossed, like he's standing on the ground, only he's like falling through the air, and that makes her laugh. But then they, uh... she giggles. Paige freaking giggles. She never giggles. thought I'd hear that. Nope, she's. <laughs> pretty she's having a great time and then the beneath the clouds we see a bridge is rushing up to meet them so they both deploy their wing shoots and they land on top of it getting a killer view of the city and man beck is smitten uh, boy he has gone understandably <laughs> understandably yeah no doubt to be fair yeah page is pretty dang thrilling so yeah, this, Paige's this, best skill. Yes, this is the place where Paige goes to be alone and think. So, and Beck is trying to sound her out on possibly switching sides, kind of in an oblique way. Like, yeah, it's cool how you don't have to always be evil, right? Or you know, whatever <laughs> he's he's trying to like touch around the idea that maybe she could be something other than she is, but she's not quite picking it up. 
it's odd that he's mm. he's a character that's actually being subtle, which is uh, not something that's happened so far in the show. So it's kind of nice. Yeah, these conversations are actually, you know, while they're obviously hinting at something, I yeah. think it plays off fairly natural. I do yeah. hate, especially in cartoons, where it's like, what if you just want on the bad guy's side, maybe? Like, that's... Yeah, like, just, just, yeah, let's be a little, you're out of 10, I need you at a 6, you know, let's, let's rate it in a little bit. <laughs> So, I think the body language between the two is really nice as well. Yeah, it's very it's well done. It's realistic. Yeah, and it's... that's something I notice lacking even in anime. Anime is generally pretty good and they do put a lot more money into their animation. Yeah. But sometimes you'll have characters just standing there. Whereas I think, you know, Paige is very relaxed. Beck is a little fidgety at first. And then mm-hmm. he assumes a very wide kind of masculine stance, kind of trying to impress her, I think. Yeah, it's really nice. There's a lot of attention to detail in this scene, which is normally reserved for action scenes. So it's mm. nice to see it, you know, being applied to like a, I guess this isn't quite a meet cute, but like a, a nice little romantic scene like this, you know? It drives me nuts in video games where you'll be talking to a character, another character, and you're just standing stock still and there's like not breaking eye contact. It's just, yeah, just throw in a few little extra details of you shifting on oh, your yeah. feet a little bit. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, it's those subtleties that really uh, convince the viewer that they're watching something alive, you know. And as an animator, that's something that you just you're always haunted by. It's so hard to make a somebody CG not look like a dead-eyed, freaky robot killer mannequin, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually, for as old as Mass Effect is, I think, well, especially in two and three, I only played the first one once a long time ago, but two and three. Uh, I remember Commander Shepard would kind of look around the room or, or move a little bit while having the dialogue uh, scenes. It's a, It was a little rough, you know, they moved in a very unnatural way, but at least they were moving. Yeah, at least they were, they were doing something, which is, I think, mm. necessary to at least give it a shot. But then we cut to... Uh, Pavel, <laughs> this is a hilarious scene. He's, <laughs> it is. He's strolling through a prison. And he's looking to select some prisoners and you can hear He's shopping. He's shopping. He's window shopping and he sees a small group. And I think one of them's crying or maybe we can just hear somebody crying in the background or whatever. But these are. Yeah. He picks three pretty big, strong programs and uh, and he, he unlocks the energy field door and their discs. Apparently they have disc locks on their back. So they, they unholster their discs and they grunt at him. And they're really tall. <laughs> it's like a full basketball team in here. And Babel just goes full Pee-wee her, but he's like, oh dear, I seem to have unlocked the door and your discs. I'm totally <laughs> defenseless. Oh, woe is me. You better not try to escape. You know, like, oh, so funny. And then and he then goes full, full crazy wall, eyes. There's a big wall-eyed, yeah. just maniacal. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, and then he goes in for a little three-on-one murder action, and then his eyes pulse red. So we know that's a that's a bad sign. Turns out he had the red super disc, and this that's is a, no good. A test run. So I guess the super disc has fully regenerated. But as we know, if you wear it for longer than ten seconds, you start believing you're all powerful, and uh, it's a bad idea to wear it for any length of time. <laughs> And then Paige shows up out of nowhere. And I don't know if she's been here the whole time, but she's like, I thought you said you destroyed that. And then she says, I'll give you a chance to return it to Tesla before the end of the cycle. And I'll kill you if you don't. Which is uh, 
you know, pretty intense. I don't know. Did she just watch him kill the prisoners? <laughs> was she just like, well, I'll talk to him after he's not busy or what, what was she? I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be rude and interrupt. <laughs> it's kind of, it's still kind of hard for me to roll with this narrative that's being spun that she's a really good person deep down, you know, and I'm like, uh, or that she thinks that her, well, she thinks that Tesla is like a really good guy. And I'm like, your coworker is just slaughtering prisoners indiscriminately or, you know, yeah. and she, you're not stopping it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, yeah, I've got a few confusions and criticisms about the plot, especially the the Pavel subplot. So we yeah. shall see if we can figure it out by the end. But yeah, like um, I'm I'm rolling with it, but I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm having a. <laughs> but then we cut to uh, Pergos. Uh, I was going to say about yeah. uh, facial expressions and and going wall-eyed. They do it in Transformers Prime as well. When Megatron goes wall-eyed, it's brings me so much joy. He just <laughs> looks absolutely mental, but. It's one of those things in animation that conveys so much, and yet that doesn't happen in real life. We can't control our most people can't control their eyes independently like that, and maybe no. go the opposite direction. No, but it's just it it universally translates for whatever reason. Yeah, and people can get the crazy eyes, but that means that means different things for each person. It's a thing where you just when someone has like they are barely keeping a lid on absolute fury <laughs> and they're betraying nothing on their face except for mm. a little little something in their eyes is making you go uh oh this person's about to blow like that's going to be different for everybody so i guess yeah i remember um the visual effects breakdown for golem comparing the lord of the rings to the hobbit and they were talking about how they added all these really subtle things under his skin yeah. For the Hobbit films, because the technology had come a long way since then. And it really is, you know, what it makes someone look alive, what makes them look human, and what makes them able to express those very mi micro-expressions. Yeah. It's just, it's so hard to capture. And if you're drawing in a simplistic, cartoony style, <laughs> you just can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You can sort of hint at it. But that's one of the cool things about a cartoony style, is that you can still get that emotional engagement but you don't actually need it to look like a realistic human. You can, mm. you know, you're lucky if you get 20% of the way there and everybody's really impressed. But if you're going it, for realism. The other thing is age. It's just so hard to, I mean, when yeah. you're doing a cartoony style, if you want to make someone look older, maybe put lines in their face, or if they're a kid going to a teenager, you just make them look taller. But in real life, it's not like that. Where, no. you know, like you can tell, I don't know, Charlize Theron is not, in her 20s you can tell she's older but it's not like she's got lines on her face well how do you tell she's older uh um <laughs> i don't know yeah right yeah there's something about it there's all these little hints that we pick up on immediately that it's kind of hard to classify when you're like well you just know it's like okay yeah, yeah. but i'm i'm building a person here that other people need to look at so how do you like know a teenage boy some teenage boys by the age of 13 or 14 they're already six foot tall yeah they're built like men but you look at their face and it's like that's a kid clearly oh I how used, do i tell yeah i used to work at this restaurant and this guy came in talked to one of the other cooks and then went away and he was like a giant he was like six three he had a a, a beard on him like a welcome mat this guy was just like <laughs> this rich, dark, lustrous, incredibly thick beard you could get lost in. And, uh, and 
my boss was like, how old do you think he is? I'm like, oh, I don't know, 23. He's like, he's 16. I was like, what? <laughs> like, no. What? Like, so I don't know. How do you, how do you know? Like, you can't, you can't always tell, right? So I don't know. And that's the, it, it, animation is good if someone has figured out how to subtly convey those things that are having to go over the top. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, I would say Paige is older than Mara. I don't know why. I just get that vibe. Would you say she's older than Beck? Yeah. I'd say so. I'd say so, I think. Too. I think part of that, though, is uh, Elijah Wood's voice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And her her back history and her maturity. Yeah, um, I do feel like this is a relationship between an older woman and a younger man. Yeah, for sure. Because he's just such a puppy about it. I guess there's that yes. too. He's not he's not seasoned in the in the ways of falling for somebody. It seems like he's this might be somewhat of a first for him. He seems to be really, really going, really all in. Whereas Tron himself, it, everything about him says older man. The voice, oh, yeah. the design, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, then we cut to uh, Pergos, our good friend Pergos. The, you can uh, definitely tell it's Pergos by the color scheme. The cesspool of Pergos. It's in a crater, the crater city of Pergos. And we get this. Hang on, uh, I could have rhymed just then and I did. Color scheme, all pink and green. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. My system. And we get this uh, old lady with the Borg eye that was in another episode that was uh, doctoring a disc for Pavel a few episodes. She looks like a Borg. She has the name of a different Star Trek character. She does. Gorn. Yeah, her name is Gorn and she has a Borg eye implant. So she's got a, a, the best of both worlds happening there. Uh, she's so cool. Uh, and she's got she's the, the, the low, scratchy voice. And there's a program begging her to erase his disc and his history. And she's like, forget it. I'm through with that. If you'd like to argue, let my assistant Lomox enlighten you. And this this giant hulking man comes out of the shadows. He's terrifying. And he's got this maniacal Joker grin on his face. Permagrin. A permagrin, an, an un, unshakable permagrin. And but this program's request raises some questions like is erasing your disc like erasing your memories or is it just like erasing your criminal background? You Can know? you clear your cache, you know? Just yeah. Clear. Cookies. <laughs> yeah. Like if, is your disc literally your memories or is it just a record of your memories? Because it, if a cop, well, you become a stray if you don't have one. So I guess that is literally your memories, but it's like, if you still have the disc, but it's wiped, then you're okay. Yeah. But if you lose the disc, then you start to lose your memories for real. So I, I, I it's like it's a recorder, but it is integral to you ex- existing. I, so maybe he wouldn't even remember. So she would wipe his memory and he would get the disc back. He's like, thanks for uh, what? why am I here? Yeah. Who are you? What's going on? Like, that's that's yeah. what I'm wondering about. Right. Or I guess it would be selective. But also, like, if you're a cop or whatever in that in the grid, because I don't, I don't know if there is like a police force other than the red, the red guards, like the occupation force of, uh, of Tesla. But if you're a cop and you found a disc, or a program with a disc that was completely blank, would you be like, oh, you're incredibly suspicious, <laughs> right? Mm. I mean, it wouldn't be as damning as actual evidence, but it, it, well, it just, we... I started thinking about trials and what would need to be brought to trial in the grid system, and I guess that's episode six of season three but yes 
Oh, I would love all the legality. So yeah. we know that there's a lot of kangaroo court going on on the grid where it's just, well, here we go. We have the evidence. No one investigates whether it's doctored or not. Sure. Which uh, reminds me of Battlestar Galactica, where Gaius Boltar, I think, is framed for, I think, sending off an explosive or something. I, it's been a long time. It's been many years. But yeah. there's security footage of him planting something in a room. That's all I remember. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, well, yep, it's Gaius. He's been the bad guy the whole time. So Close clearly enough. he's guilty. Yep. And no one questions it, and except, I don't know, one person does. And then they do a, a deeper investigation. They have an AI analyze the footage. And they go, actually, there's pixels that have been moved around and, and edited. So that's not really his face. Enhance. 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 Yeah. So you'd think they'd do that sort of stuff on the grid. Maybe they do, but because uh, it's the Clue regime, no one cares. Yeah, I'm getting a bit of a sense of the latter there with this. They're like, hmm, will her death, uh, you know, be a net positive? Yes. All right, I accept the evidence. You know, like I think there's a, and a lot of emotional, emotionally charged conclusions are being drawn. Mm. I don't know. It's kind of scary. Now, question I don't know if you you collect action figures, but if you could have action figures for Tron Uprising, who would you get? Oh, man. Uh, I don't care for... Okay, Tesla is my answer because of that sweet add-on <laughs> gun arm and the extendo fists that it might oh, come with. He'd have a lot of... Yeah, he's very toyetic. <laughs> and he's got his cape that you could take off and put on and... Uh, He's got bold features, you know, like I, I, in the, in the, in the video, in the, in the show itself, I think that Lance Hendrickson isn't perhaps the best match for that model. And I think that he's a very simplistic villain, but just from a design standpoint, I think I would probably like him if it came with all of his accoutrement. Hell yeah. Who, who would you cast for his voice if you could change his voice? Oh man, that's a really good one. See, I can't help but think of people that are kind of like Lance Hendrickson, like Michael Wincott or something like that. Mm. Or Michael Rooker. David, just David Warner. Just freaking David Warner. Again. Yeah, David Warner. That's what I meant. I meant David Warner. That's that's <laughs> that's what I'd want. Yeah, oh, uh, man. I, think, I wish he was uh, more. Cor- oh. Corey Burton, I think, would probably... He, he's pretty... He, he'd actually voice the Shockwave who was David Warner's... Who was based on David Warner's voice, so oh, maybe I'm just go. going around in circles. But yeah, kind of a Mr. Freezy kind of... Yeah, I think. Maybe Maurice LaMarche, maybe? Oh, maybe, could... yeah. Yeah, I, I could be good. But, uh... uh... I would get uh, Paige and Gorn as action figures. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. Oh, you know who else I would get? Uh, the mm. ticket taker, the ticket taker that looked like a, a food dog, or it looked like a looked like a dragon. Yes, honestly, they would just look really great on a shelf, especially if they're cell shaded. Oh yeah, I think it probably doesn't even matter if they're articulated. It would be cool if they no. were just little statues. No, if they were just like those. Uh, what was that? What was that game? Lego Dimensions? No. What was the Disney yeah. game? Oh yes, yes, Infinity. Disney Infinity. Yeah. Oh, those are so cool. Yes. Yeah. I'd like have that. if they made them in that format, I would have all of them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I'm halfway glad they don't. Um, okay, so one thing I want to talk about is it looks like Lomox is wearing a gray onesie. Yeah, which, is it just uh, supposed to show that he's a blank slate? There's no. Could be, could be film languagey. That could be it. I think it was more just trying yeah. to hint that they are, uh, they are doctors of a sort. Right, there is they, also that. They are they are illicit 
medical practitioners. Well, it's very tight fitting. That's the weird thing. It's not quite a. Yeah, it's not like a smock or like, a gown, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, when I saw the full body shot, oh no, there are. You can see the the legs of the black surgery yeah, costume yeah. underneath. But yeah, from the hips up, it just kind of looks like he's been erased. You know what I mean? Well, he's, he's... maybe, yeah. And that's, I think that's part of his character is he is kind of a blank slate. I think I, I like your take on that. I think that's what the, mm-hmm. that's, that's what's being implied here, I think. But Lomox grabs the program, the, the mohawked beggar that's like begging to get his disc erased and shoves him up against a, a terrarium slash aquarium of these aquarium these little uh, aquarium a little uh, a little uh, glass box of something called code worms there's all these little code worms in there they're feeding on chunks of program in there possibly derezzed customers and Gorin talks about this is a really cool scene she says she talks about how dangerous the code worms are saying that if even one of them gets free, it deletes more than your past. And she raises her robot eye patch to reveal the ravaged hole where her eye, eye used to be. But the cool thing is that we see it. Uh, the shot is POV from her empty eye socket, which yeah. is which is I thought was pretty a nice touch because it's almost ironic. You're getting a POV shot from a from an empty eye socket, which I was like, oh, nice, nice. But the program the the program's still begging for a disc erasure. Uh, and he, he said he stole a light jet and he's terrified of getting caught. And he pulls out the light jet baton and Lomox takes it, shoving the program into an alcove while Gorin takes the baton and is all like, a light jet? Well, why didn't you say so? Now you're speaking my language. So, <laughs> so that's. Uh... It's interesting that they can't delete their own memories. You know, they can change their appearance, but. Well, I wonder if you could, if you had access to tech and training like Gorn. Yeah, maybe she can modify her own memories quite easily. Yeah. Jeez, that would be mm. wild. Oh, you know, you had that. I, I think we talked about it on the podcast. We had this concept for a maybe a movie or something where everyone shares their memories, but only for yeah. like a day or so. And then yeah. like, what does life look like after that point? And yeah, you could absolutely do that on the grid. That would be interesting. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That would be super interesting. And I wonder season two finale, I think. Season two yeah. finale. And then maybe season three we get into dreams, maybe shared dreams, you know? Yeah. Season three is trying to figure out uh, how how do we move on in a world where everyone knows everyone's <laughs> secrets. I love it. Uh Pergos, I'm coming to the conclusion is just a really sketchy city. Hmm. But just then, Pavel walks in and he tells the Mohawk program scram and to leave. And I am thinking to myself, that program might be the luckiest program in the history of this entire show. Oh yeah. Cause people. Oh, sneeze. I've already killed three people today. I'm not in the mood for another one. Uh, one more. I couldn't, I'm stuffed, but uh, <laughs> lo- like Lomox's maniacal grin never seems to leave his face. So I don't think he's all, he's all there. There's an old, there's, there's a glowing, uh, eye patch shaped spot on the back of Gorn's head that features mm. a lot in these over the shoulder shots. I don't know if that's if that's something that uh, is going to come into play. But Gorn dismisses Lomox, and Pavel says that he wants to give someone an attitude adjustment. So I think he mm. wants to reprogram uh, Paige. I was going to say about uh, Lomox is that 
even though his face is stuck in this rictus grin, you can see emotion in his yeah. like in his eyes and in his body language and stuff like that. They, they've definitely really thought about it. Yeah. Did you ever see uh, Get Out? Yes. So it's kind of like there's there's moments when in in the show like not to not to spoil the movie but there's moments where you see a lot going on underneath the face mm. and that that's a testament to the actor that's playing that role but you're, you you can sort it you can see stuff going on but it's uh it's like four layers deep behind the mask that's on the front of the skull and there's kind of stuff like that going on with with Lomox here which is really cool what was the name which- Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm thinking of Lobot. Sorry, from uh, oh yeah, Lobot. Yeah, but yeah, going back to what we were saying about trying to convey facial expressions and body language in animation, that's really well done because they are moving very tiny little lines and pixels here and there. Yeah, yeah, it's very it's very well done. He's a cool character. He's a cool mm. character. And then we cut Wanna to something more about him, which I'm uh, I've been I've been looking forward to, or at least didn't expect at all. But we get Tron Pool. Paige and uh, Beck are playing pool, and the, oh, yeah. the balls are like the giant balls we see in the landscapes of the grid coming back to life in 1982's Tron. When they're flying over the game sea, you see these giant balls, and the pool balls are kind of, they look like that. They have that one, that one off-center circle going around the circumference. And they're playing with Futuretron laser cues, <laughs> purple purple laser cues, which... Uh, this environment's really cool. Yeah, it's very purple. It's extremely purple. They're playing uh, purple pool. We don't see purple often enough. Nope, we don't. We don't. We And now we're getting our fill of it here. It's, uh, I always say that if I were to make a movie, I would use a lot of purple because most films don't use it. It's true. And there was a... Re- oh, man, this is going back like three years ago into my Prometheus podcast. But there's a reason why... Purple's generally avoided because it's very difficult to film because it's halfway between blue and red. So it, sometimes it doesn't read. As, sure. Like it, it reads as one or then it reads as the other. Yeah. yeah. No, I can dig that 100%. Uh, and, but what's cool is instead of the balls being pocketed, they de-res in the same way that programs de-resed in 1982's Tron. There's that like burst of light and then the ovals, oh, yeah. the ovals fly up to the ceiling. And there's that, that same little digital jazz as the... Uh, as they as they go up so i was like nice callback well done well done so, so flynn brought some things over from the old grid you know you've got tron yeah. himself maybe abel and then these pool tables i guess yeah he's like little little terrariums that they turned into a pool game i don't know which you know oh and uh the light cycle he did bring the original light cycle obviously and when you derez a program it does that little ovals thing so it makes me wonder are these balls in some way kind of semi-sentient i i hope not i hope that hmm. living pool balls probably not but <laughs> page like the premise for a pixar movie but yeah what if the pool balls were alive <laughs> what a pool balls had feelings <laughs> uh so there's an interesting conversation that happens here though because page is all like ah uh-huh, i'm having so much fun and beck is says i didn't think having fun was in your programming and she says, well, sometimes our true programming can be a mystery. Finding mine mm. has been a journey. So I'm like, wait a second. So in this version of the grid, did Flynn just make a bunch of programs with no purpose? Hmm. Like, I like the allegory to our own existence, but it's almost the opposite of the grid in 1982's Tron. Like in that world, you're an attack program or an accounting program through and through and you know it. 
And it's it's. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it could be an well. Yeah, no, we are we we've seen evidence. I can't talk today. Um, when you wanna, when you when you when you wanna make a friend. <laughs> that meme. I wonder. Um, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> um. But yeah, we are seeing evidence of the grid is evolving and the programs are evolving. So maybe Page is this kind of step between program and ISO that she is. She's still a program. She was created the same way as everyone else, but she is able to determine her own life, her own preferences. I hope so. I don't know. Because like in 1982, it was resisting your programming that was the difficult part. But Paige, mm. Paige seems to be implying that programs here can do whatever they want, and the hard part is finding their programming. Yeah, so she she's kind of yeah having the opposite experience of she doesn't know what she wants or what yeah. she is. And is that what everybody's doing here? Like, is that what is that what Link is doing? And is that what Beck is doing? Is that is everybody here just kind of like is everybody in the mechanic shop just being a mechanic because they're like maybe this is what I'm supposed to do? Or are they mechanic? Uh, no, because because uh, Paige was definitely treated as different, especially in that Korra episode. Okay, yeah, where the there was this implication of well she has these musical abilities, but she's made to be a medical program. Okay. So there's something different about it. That's the implication I got. Oh, excellent. Okay, cool. I, I, I like that. I like her being a standout kind of, mm. like you said, somewhere between a program and an ISO. I think that it makes it makes more sense for the world, definitely. That would be really interesting to explore as well, that in this, well, especially during this occupation, where things are very much black and white and ISOs are one thing and programs are another, that this culture of programs that are somewhere in the middle start to emerge and the moral implications of that well that's why isos are a threat like that's why flynn is a threat right mm. and that's why that's what the mcp was sort of railing against well actually no that's a whole different thing but like you know flynn's a, a threat because he's like you can do what you want hope is not a program free will is not a program you know it's like yeah but free will is chaos and hope is chaos yeah i uh you mentioned in chronologically speaking about how an ai running the world would actually be a good thing but there's always going to be humans with their free will and unpredictability they're going to ruin everything yeah and so that makes me think well in clue's case that's basically what happened is i'm supposed to make this the perfect system but you a human uh, not perfect. You're unpredictable and you're chaotic. So I have to actually get rid of you, even though you're the one who gave me the directives. Yeah, and it's the same with the ISOs because they're like, uh, we just we're just hanging out. We don't know what we do, but we're alive. And Age of Ultron could have been way better. That's just a thinking about fact. That is a fact. <laughs> oh, Ultron getting into the internet, Oof. and then it's just war games. And you know what's Thor gonna do? He can't just smash the internet with a hammer. Exactly. What are you gonna do, man? <laughs> oh, that movie was a frustrating experience for me. I know, because it starts off like the first hour. Oh, I'm all on board. Yes, yes. And then, oh, well, we have to defeat him and can't make it him too powerful and just pfft, nosedive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of things went wrong with that one. But, you know, such is life. They can't all be 10 out of 10s, you know. But, you know, praise Disney. They don't make any mistakes. And uh, <laughs> they should definitely bring back Tron Uprising and, Absolutely. and let us run that show. Yeah, don't get us wrong. Right, guys? Yeah. Right, Disney? Yeah, we're friends. 
Uh, and then she reveals to him that she's fighting for Clue, not the occupation. Which, uh, I don't know how you make that distinction, because well, Clue's letting all this stuff going on, you know, prisoner, murder, all of that. He's not and, stepping in. And she's kind of fighting for Tesla. Mm. Right? So I don't know why she yeah, said that. Clue that surprised her. me that she used that excuse. Maybe the, Maybe the writers were like, we haven't mentioned Clue for literally six episodes. We got to throw him in there somewhere. He's on the poster for the show. <laughs> like, Yeah. Uh, and then she says that she's got a bad coworker that she's decided to deal with thanks to Beck. <laughs> and I think that's what she means like in the, in the prison scene there when she was like, give the disc back to Tesla or I'll kill you. And uh, then she says that Beck doesn't know what it's like to have to wear a mask all the time. And Beck scratches his shot, digging the laser cue into the table, which is always a good comedy pool moment, which, uh, which I like. It's funny. I I like that because it's, well, it's on, on the grid, so it doesn't react the way a real pool table would. No, there's weird geometric you know, ley lines of electricity that like, scatter off of it, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. And they share an intense, an intense stare. And they're just about going to kiss in this extremely purple room when all of a sudden, oh, when, you know, Pavel, Pavel bursts in with guards demanding the arrest of Paige, claiming that she's been conspiring to overthrow Tesla, and he offers more doctored evidence. Uh, and then Beck gets arrested as well for being lippy. So they're in a cell now with their discs locked to their backs, which is too bad. I think... Of all the costumes, I'd really love to make Pavel's. I'm just looking at it here. This is... It's great. It's the best one. It's wonderful. Yeah, he's got the coolest outfit. I, I'm sure he spends a lot of time, you know, customizing his own appearance, probably. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he strikes me as somewhat vain. But uh, I think he attends to his own tends to his own program appearance more often than most, maybe. I don't know. The whole thing about how much of yourself you can adjust is uh, mm. another mystery that has not really been super explored. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he, because he's got uh, an unusual collar on his. I yeah. want to believe that he chose that. It's like, mm, yeah, no, the fitted collar's not really doing anything for me. I'm going to go for a bit more of a wider stand collar. Yeah, this is, uh, and then here we, we get something kind of interesting in the jail cell, because Paige reveals that only guilty programs run, and that once Tesla sees her disc, everything will be fine. Mm. And they're in a jail cell on trumped-up charges, and I just... I mean, would that have been relevant? At the, I don't know. Well, you know, the past couple of years, the whole only guilty people run or only guilty people panic. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely been making the, the rounds in the media these past couple of years. It's, but it's been definitely. Can... Well, that's that's an eternal. I think to me, that's kind of an eternal thing, right? Mm. Like, I think a, a, a lot of people believe that if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to worry about. So heightened security measures are no big deal. And then there's a lot of people on the fringe who have suffered under the boot of a regime. And they're like, oh, don't say that because you're wrong. <laughs> you know, like as long as good people allow more and more of security to be eroded, then, uh, uh, you know, a fascist regime can just walk right in. And so mm. this whole like only guilty people run. Well, not when the cops are just trained killers that have very itchy trigger fingers you know like as soon as you know you've been accused you're like oh god this could be it so you get nervous and then they're like whoa only guilty people are nervous you know so i don't know page, yeah. page is dangerously naive in this scene 
it's a little it's like a, a bit of astounding like I feel it's maybe a sunken cost fallacy where, you know, you try to explain to someone, well, this life decision or whatever it is, your political opinion, yeah. there's there's no evidence for this, but they're just like, no, no, it definitely is. I hope so. so. Like, I hope that she is just trying to convince herself as much as she's trying to convince Beck, you know, because she can't possibly be 100% about this right now. Well, the way the show, it, the characters are performed, it is more naturalistic. You know, there's not that kind of... When it character lies, it's very obviously a lie or, or you know, a look to the camera or whatever. Yeah, sure. It, so I think there is room there for interpretation, which is good. Yeah, which is real good. But she gets dragged out of the cell and she gets chained to a couple of glowing pillars in an empty room. And then she's left by the guards. And I love the lighting in or the coloring in yeah, this scene. It's, it's so that, cool. What I call the deviant art green gray yeah. color against yeah. her, uh, her, her uh, tangerine. Yes. Yeah. And then Lomox comes out of the shadows and then takes her disc and holds it flat with the hologram of her head forming above the disc, which is what happens when you hold the disc flat and you call up somebody's. Uh, but it's like he's literally got her head on a plate, which I thought was kind of kind of neat. But this is this is such a neat scene. He takes out a code worm and drops it onto her hologram head where it crawls into her hologram eye socket. I was but, getting some uh, Wrath of Khan PTSD. Oh, very much so. But it acts like a voodoo doll and Paige starts to buck and scream like the code worm is literally crawling into her real eye. So yeah. I just that's wild because I'm like, well, the connection between a program in their disc is so intense and I'm always left kind of wanting to know more. Right. Mm, Cause if you don't have it on you, you, it's not immediate death. It's just a slow mental disintegration. Yeah. Like becoming a stray doesn't mean that you die. It just means that you're feral. Right. So I wonder if they actually do physically disintegrate over time because they're just losing code. Maybe. Like I, we've we've found out that only Tron will die if he doesn't get regular injections of energy, but that most programs will just get tired. So mm, we need to we definitely need to put this in season two. Oh yeah, definitely. That some more. So a playback on the disc comes up, and it's Paige talking to some guards, seeing stuff like Tesla had his chance to lead. I'm taking over. So I guess is the this is the code worm installing a fake memory in her desk, and then mm. she starts uh, screaming, "Who put you up to this?" Who put you up to this? To Lomox. And I'm just like, Paige, come on, Paige. Come yeah, on. you you know. It, just If something goes wrong, just assume it's Pavel. <laughs> just assume you know? it's Pavel at this point. But she gets thrown. Uh... <laughs> that reminds me, my poor youngest brother, he was he was, he was a bit of a, um, a jerk as yeah. a child. Let's yeah. just put it that way. And it got to the point that whenever anything went wrong, all of us would instinctively go, oh, Dylan, wait, oh, no, you didn't do it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry. Our bad. <laughs> My mom, when telling the dogs off, would accidentally say Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, she gets uh, thrown back into the cell with Beck, and she's pretty sad because, but she does this 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 cool flip where she's like, well, now that I'm officially guilty, I guess I should act guilty. And then she uh, breaks out of the cell and unlocks her discs and unlocks the doors and fights her way through all the guards and steals some cycles and they bail. So wanted posters for Paige show up all over town 
And uh, it's funny because she calls herself a lost cause. And Becca's like, no, we're in this together. She's like, nope. And she kicks him and derails his bike and then takes off by herself, which is awesome, which I thought was really cool. She's not like, I need your help, which is kind of what I was expecting. She's like, yeah, bye. And I, 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 I guess I shouldn't be surprised, you know, in an ideal world, this should just be normal. But just the fact that, oh, this is a cartoon with a female character who is actually really interesting and compelling. And I genuinely like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a rarity, unfortunately. Still to this day, basically. Still to this day. Well, it's changing, but it's, uh, it's baby steps every step of the way. Yeah. So it's, it's too bad. But then she does something so cool. I love this. She's going down an alley with a, and a tank at the other end spies her and it spins its turret and fires. And she does the old derez her bike maneuver while momentum carries her forward in a, so taps, a, a knee it. slide and then she jumps up over the barrel of the gun of the tank just as it fires it's like raismo, ra- rainbow prismed oblong projectile thing and then she re-reses her bike and light trail and jumps off the top of the tank making a, like a, a, a rainbow crescent light trail over the tank's gun barrel so then she zooms off and the tank tries to turn its gun barrel around to focus on her, but it's stuck in the, in the half circle of her light trail. So it's like, can't, 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 can't do it. I was just like, that's so smart. That's just one more use for a light trail. That's been, that's like the fourth or fifth cool light trail maneuver that we've seen so far. Can't get enough of it. That was just so badass and so cool. Yes. Uh, a, a minor note in that sequence: we saw our first bus station, or bus stop, I should say. Oh, cool! And there was a guy sitting there. And oh yeah, there's yeah. A, the poster for the, the wanted poster shows up behind him. So not everyone has a light cycle, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. We don't see public transit in the grid either. That's another one. I want a bus driver. I want a bus driver episode. That's what I would like. Yeah. Okay. Uh, season two, season three. Uh, I think maybe, maybe, or uh, maybe we should throw that into season two because it would be a pretty cool. It could be from the bus driver's point of view. Yeah, he could be a recurring character like uh, the Cabbages Man in Avatar. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. She makes her way, Paige makes her way down to Goran's place, busts into Goran's place, puts her disc to Goran's throat, demanding information. And But Goran says, I already told you, I don't erase discs. And she's like, "I, what are you talking about? And wouldn't you know it, Pavel walks out of the mm. shadows with Tesla, looking like they've caught Paige red-handed. And then they take her disc and they view the fake memory. And then uh, Goran is on it. And then Tesla's pretty angry and falls for it. There's a fake memory in there of her saying, "You gotta, you gotta adjust. You gotta adjust my memories, Gorn." So, I wonder if and I, Tesla doesn't even question this. He's no. just like, oh, "Well, you know, you've been super loyal this whole time, but one false step and you're out." However, Pavel, he's my guy. He's never <laughs> done me any wrong ever. I've, I've dug seven daggers out of my back from Pavel, and you've never given me reason to distrust you. But I'm going wholeheartedly, whole hog with Pavel on this one, 100. <laughs> percent Yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make all. It's harsh, all, man. It's it's harsh, and he's really disappointed in her. And I was wondering if this is when he's going to reveal to her that he killed all of her friends and that he killed Keller. 
but he oh, doesn't. He should have. He doesn't go there. I he doesn't go there just yet. Ah, uh, but here because is... I think that would definitely snap her out of her uh, hero worship. If it doesn't happen in the next two episodes, then it's something they must have been planning for season two that they never got around to, because that's the reveal that will put her on Beck's side, and then they can be a duo fighting together, and then the two of them can take on Clue. That could be the overarching thing for season two if they, uh, if you know, if the episodes we come up with. That's the frustrating thing is they could have, if they had known this was only going to be one season, then they could have you know, given these things a bit more of a resolution instead of setting yeah. up for later. I'm really but... curious when they found out. Like... Apparently it was midway through production. Oh, okay. What a bummer. Jeez. Mm. That must have been. But what do you do? That's the business. You That's the job. You go, well, we've got, you know, eight episodes left to just go hard. So let's do it. But then we cut to God the arena Disney. and we get this like once an episode we get the coolest thing i've ever seen right and this is this yeah. is this is that episode's coolest thing i've ever seen because they're jousting they're jousting yeah. in the arena they're having light cycle jousting matches. was there any jousting in the original there was never no. there was never any jousting i i oh no you know what it was it was in the game has changed music video with olivia wilde yeah yeah so they they yeah they had some in there for sure but they didn't have any in the actual, I don't think there's actual canon jousting until now, which yeah. is cool. I've been wanting to see jousting in the grid forever. So I, I just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked to see this. And I forgot about it until I was rewatching the episode right now. And I can't believe I forgot about it. So I was just like, Oh my God, they're jou- it's happening. It's happening. You know, it's really clever and yet kind of obvious or, like it natural like it should have always been the case yeah for sure right it's like when i saw the movie it follows which is about a a sexually transmitted demon i'm like why haven't i seen this 50 times this this seems like it would be like a 101 template for teen horror movies why is it why am i seeing this for the first time in like 2012 or whatever this should have there should have been 80 of these in uh in there the what I call can opener concepts because the can opener was not invented until like I don't know ten twenty years after the can right was invented. So it's just like why wouldn't why didn't anyone no one thought of this? Okay, yeah, 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 totally. Uh, so <laughs> Tesla's like we're running out of people to fight Paige, and uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> well, yeah, let me have a go. She's just like and, killing. She's killing everybody. She's every all her all her all her competitors she's just massacring them all in the joust so i think uh she's probably pretty down about it i don't know if she's too cool with killing all these randos for sport you know she'd be happy about killing pavel she sure would um so recently on my i think it was alien covenant or prometheus i was looking into how well male character villains who are androgynous and how they usually portray like the trickster archetype Mm-hmm. You know, you can have your your your, ma- your super masculine villains, yeah. But then there's the the trickster type, the guys who tend to use deception and cunning and and all of that. Yeah, they tend to be more effeminate, and it's this weird recurring yeah. trope throughout mm-hmm. history. I mean, you look at Loki, even traditional myth- mythological Loki. You look at Starscream. You Pavel definitely falls into that archetype. David in Prometheus. There's something about 
male characters who use something other than brute force yeah they tend to be androgynous and i don't know what that is well yeah there's a lot of uh sexual you know socially acceptable sexual roles you know like i think you can mm. file that under an aspect of toxic masculinity i guess or i mean because yeah, even like peter baelish in game of thrones yeah he's clearly heterosexual and he's fairly masculine but something you know you kind of get that vibe of of androgyny and he's he's fey you know and his and his name's fey, li- yeah. his, his name's literally Littlefinger. And little which, bit, yeah. which sounds like it is a is a is a euphemism, which means okay, he's not, you know, endowed, you know, like so. There's this, yeah. there is this dichotomy, right, where the the, it, but it's, it it falls the same, I think, almost with good guys, right? You've got your strong lumberjack mm-hmm. hero, or you got his brainy sidekick who's like, save me, yeah, or, true, you know, laughs too much, uh, you know, or so. I think because he just got me thinking, uh, like Sherlock, I think. I've never thought about his gender that much. It's just sort of, yeah, he's, he's male. I, I think it's because it's Victorian. You know, the Victorian yeah, era is yeah. different. Was it doesn't t- matter. But it's a different deal, yeah. It don't matter when like it's Victorian, Thrawn. baby. Yeah, it don't count. Um, but Thrawn in Star Wars is that absolute, brilliant strategist. But he strikes me more as this kind of, I don't know. Well, like, there's, did you ever see Farscape? Yeah. Yeah. So, like the 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 Klingon archetype there, the guy with the yeah. with the with the braided beard and stuff. He's an amazing yeah. musician, right? They they go they they, mm. they reveal that he's a fantastic musician, and like because yeah. this this thing he's been crafting for like this entire episode, you think it's a new battle axe, and it turns out to be like a sitar kind of a thing, and then it's he, a different kind of axe. And he, yeah, a different kind of axe, and he's playing it. And uh, you know the the main human character is like, well, I can't believe you play instruments because you're so brutal. And he's kind of like, well, what's the point of fighting if you're not fighting for beautiful music or something? And that's one of the only times I've so, I was just kind of like, whoa, what am I watching here? This is that's new. That's great. That's you so know. deep. It's good though, right? Like I, I like it when it's more nuanced than that. Like you're you're not wrong. You're absolutely right. If they're smart, then they're weak. If they're smart, yeah. then they're devious, you know. And if they're devious, then they must be effeminate. And I'm like, yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange chain of events, right? But it seems to definitely have its roots in uh, in misogyny and homophobia somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking of homophobia, not to get too off track, it is kind of relevant. But um, in the Transformers More Than Meets the Eye comic, everybody's gay because, well, hello, Transformers are mostly male. So if they're going to have romantic relationships, it's like one in 13 are female. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, oh my God, just reading the fan. Okay, some fans, obviously, fangirls love it. Totally into it. But male fans are just mortified. Rabidly anti. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. They're freaking robots. Why does it matter? Why are we ascribing or projecting these yeah. Earth things onto robots from space? Projection's a hell of a thing, for sure. But okay, so Pavel says, "Put me in, coach. I'll take care of her." And so he slaps on the super. I wish disc. he literally said that. By the way, <laughs> I would have been so cool. And uh, he he puts on the super disc and takes her on himself. So it's on, and he's fighting like a Smith in the Matrix, 
dodging with super speed. He's literally shattering the ground with his disc throws. She's barely staying ahead of him, but she is staying ahead of him. And uh, and it turns out that (laughs) underneath the arena floor, there's a series of massive, deadly cooling fans that uh, will kill you if you fall into them. And she ends up dangling off the edge of one of the shattered holes above the fans. Only it's to... a really great sequence. It's a great sequence. But the renegade is somehow under the arena floor and he bursts out in his light jet and, uh, and, and, uh, and saves her. But then recognizers are firing at them and they're fighting with each other because she's like, oh God, it's the renegade. Somehow still unaware that it's Beck. And then they take another hit and it derezzes entirely. And then he grabs her and they wing shoot down, wouldn't you know it, on top of the bridge where they had their first date at the beginning of the episode. And then they... Which you'd think would mean she would put two and two together, but... No. 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 But he's... I, I, Superman can't be Clark Kent. Do we have to go through this again? <laughs> Clark Kent has glasses. Okay? Superman wouldn't even be able to see. I, I would... I would love uh, if they had, in, uh, maybe in this episode where there was that kind of Superman Clark Kent situation, like in the first Superman movie, where uh, that Superman has his little meet cute date thing with Lois. Yeah. And then she goes back to her apartment and then opens the door. Oh, there's Clark there. And she barely looks at him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But they have a little uh, fisticuffs on top of the bridge and she is straight up kicking his ass. And then he talks her down, trying to highlight how he's on the good side and how she should join and how her team is bad. And then she accuses him of being an agent of chaos and leaves. And I was hoping that Beck would reveal his face here, but he doesn't. This should. I was waiting. I really was like, this is it. This is it. This yeah. Is it. I was like, oh, oh, no, oh, oh, here we go. Like, I really thought that this was the episode where she was going to find out about Tesla's betrayal and that Beck was going to say, I'm, God I'm, damn it, Beck. This was the time to do it. This was the time. So later at the docks, she's trying to steal a boat in her helmet and a cape, a hooded cape. <laughs> Up to no God good. Damn it, guys, don't don't do the hoods. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the uniform for being clandestine. Uh, but she gets spotlighted by choppers and recognizers and Pavel and Tesla descend. And then Tesla says, I know who framed you. And they have Lomox in handcuffs and they take off Lomox's disc. And we see a memory of the renegade talking about he wants Paige to look guilty and he wants Paige to suffer. And of course, this is obviously Pavel's handiwork, but this is like a weird double bluff. And it's very twisted. And Lomox is clearly upset. He's trying to say no. Yeah. uh, And he's struggling and he's, he's nonverbal. So, I don't know what's going on with Lomox, but he's really not having a good time. And Paige goes to accuse Pavel. What happened to him? I'd love to know. I want to know too. And Paige goes to accuse Pavel of having the super disc, but Tesla holds up the super disc saying, yep, Pavel turned it in after testing it out in the arena against you to prove that it works. (laughs) And Paige is like, what the heck is going on? She's deeply confused. And I'm getting deeply confused here too. I'm like, Pavel, this is... This is five layers deep, even for you. What's your what's your end game here? But Pavel gets a promotion out of it, which he's like, sweet, but he gets put in charge of Pergos. And he's like, oh, no, because that's not what he was. Uh, not, not, <laughs> Look in his face. Not what he wanted. 
And Paige is all like, yep, pretty sweet. Hey, watch your back, douche. <laughs> like, that's not what she says, but she's like, uh, yeah, Gart, I'll, I'll make sure to do the same to you in the future. So he hasn't made any friends. And now he's I don't know friends. what Tesla is thinking. I, like, does he choose which one is his favorite from day to day? Because I know, like, most parents oh, yeah. secretly, there's always the favorite kid. But now, no, 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 Tesla flips a coin from day to day. Well, he he plays them against each other. And yeah, that's uh, that's all. That's all that's really going on. But they're just a bunch of snakes, you know. They're just always turning yes. on each other. This, to me, is what a coven of vampires is about. Right. This is what it's like to be a teenage girl. <laughs> oh, I suppose so. I suppose so. Yep. <laughs> so complicated, all the duplicity. And alliances forming and dissolving immediately. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then we get our, our... I've seen Mean Girls. <laughs> I've seen Mean Girls. Second, we get our, our first of two denouement epilogue scenes here where Paige and Beck are playing pool again and Paige is saying, you turned me soft. You made me lose focused and uh, and and breaks up with Beck. Should have bloody shown your face under your helmet. Yeah, it's too too God late now, buddy. Too late now. But then back at Gorn's store, Pavel is telling Gorn that he's sure she'll keep quiet about their plans. And then when Gorn stands up, we see that she has the same scary, riveted, rictus Joker smile that Lomox had, and that she can't speak. So it's kind of a, a body horror Hellraiser moment, but I guess that's... I, these last couple of, or last few episodes, they do get darker, which makes me wonder, where was season two going to go? Where was this, where was this headed? That, you know, like you could almost make a horror movie in the grid, you know? Yeah, well, we were talking early on of how do you make things scary in a digital world where there isn't really a lot of biological horror or yeah. the same kind of viscera that we have in real life. But uh, no, so far, they've they've done some scary things. And in the next episode, this... Uh, well, scary in a different way, just intense and yeah. just an absolute unhinged villain. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can get intense. For sure. But I wonder, is this something that the Code Worms can do? Or is this something that Pavel can do? Or something like... I mean, I, I don't know if this is... If he's been able to give people smiles all this time... Yeah. Why? Uh, why? Because this... it seems like this is something that he's done to Gorn, and uh, uh, mm. maybe he maybe he looked into. Or maybe she did it to Gorn for whatever. Or uh, Pavel made Gorn uh, Gorn do that to Lomax. Lomax, I should say. Two different characters to balance that. Um, and now he's just redoing that same punishment to her specifically is something ironic i don't know well we know that he's like a reprogrammer right because mm. he works on he works on tesla to... oh yeah he can do that sort of stuff too. so i guess maybe he just needed to know how to do it maybe he saw the lomox procedure and so it was like okay i know how to do that now i'm gonna do that to garn in order to ensure yeah, i wonder why i mean obviously the creepy grin just looks creepy and it's great but within the story i wonder why that happens i can i can understand removing the mouth like in the matrix sure just making them mute that way but no i don't maybe it's just paralyzing the face that's how if you yeah. try to do that that's how it looks well they can't talk now so that's uh that's that's what and he's in charge of pergos now which is where she lives so he can sort of act with impunity it's cool that mm. he didn't kill her but i guess he still needs her because of her skills 
But uh, now he's got... Sometimes he likes to play with his food. He's got, he's got all kinds of shady black market stuff at his fingertips now because he's in charge of Pergos. So I'm... This oh, is, man. Season two. Good events are cool. I would have... I would I would have him successfully usurp Tesla. Yeah. And then I would have him get the notice of Clue. And then I would have uh Beck and Paige team up against Pavel as the new big bad guy and then uh and then that skirmish This really could have become a little bit of a Game of Thrones situation, yeah. very political. Oh yeah. Kind of thing. Everyone's trying to usurp everybody else. So you got Dyson, you got Tesla, you got Pavel now gaining more power. Maybe Paige. That would actually be really cool if Paige continues within the occupation, but she's an insider. She is working for the Renegade as yeah. well. Yeah. A double so, agent. Ah. That'd yeah, could have cool. had a lot of different things going on there. Could have. Could have. It's one of those... It, Tron is definitely one of those... Uh, like story as a place rather than just following one particular narrative. Yeah. And that's frustrating when I, now I'm reviewing Tron Legacy going, we didn't need Sam Flynn at all. We didn't need to follow that lineage. Nope. At all. He didn't even need... I feel like Flynn wasn't the type to have a son, or at least not intentionally. Nope. Not one he probably talks to. <laughs> nope. Um, totally so, agree. yeah, you really totally could have... Honestly, just make the movies about Beck. Yeah. Yeah, he was a playboy, for sure. And I don't think that would have mm. been an on-purpose child. Sorry, Sam Flynn, but... <laughs> But uh, that brings us to the end. Of... <laughs> I'm just imagining, sorry, that, you know, the, the emotional scene with Sam finally gets to, to Flynn <laughs> in his safe house. He's like, Dad, like, who are you? I don't even know you. What? <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, hey, son. Uh, Dave? I want to say I'm, Dave. I, I'm gonna, I, I want to say <laughs> <laughs> That would have been pretty... Uh pretty sweet hey man it was the 80s you know like uh yeah i knew your mom you know pretty well actually i mean as you are evidence of uh do you want to meet any of your 14 half brothers you know like yeah yeah uh, for sure I, that that would have been a better version of tron legacy hey you uh you want some money is that uh is that would you like some money <laughs> oh man yeah i mean I, I can't really get to my bank account from inside the grid sorry but uh they could have done uh they could have they could have gone full awkward with that for sure oh well <laughs> it needed more humor i feel legacy it was just a little bit too they yeah. felt a little too straight yep they sure did they sure did i would have gone well actually maybe my inclination would have been too parody of farcical but just because I love the original Tron, I would have tried to kind of play on that and the goofiness of it. But yeah. I can see why that wouldn't have worked for a multi-million dollar blockbuster or whatever. No. Well, it's an interesting property, I think, that lots can be done with. So, Well, yeah, if we expanded it like a, a Star Wars or a, or a Marvel where you can do those weird offbeat things, but then you can have your main storyline where everything's all real serious and important and shit. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's something about it that's not capturing the imaginations of the people who matter in terms of And I it. don't know why. No, I, I don't really know either. But it might also just I'll... be the fact that it's 
underperformed financially and they don't they have no idea how to make it anything other than a tent pole and it's not a tent pole property so do something smaller yeah. with it you know don't put all your chips yeah. on it but just do something with it like they're making another sister act movie why not make it, another, it. you know tron uh, but I don't know. I don't... Yeah, I was. Uh, I've been doing research into the eighties because, uh, I'll, I'll, long story short, I'm not going on too much of a tangent here. But um, I want to, from kind of a social experiment, is can I get a grasp of what it would be like to live in a decade I didn't live in by consuming the media in chronological order? So next year, I'll watch everything and read everything and listen to everything from 1981 and 1982 and so on and so forth, and. Looking at a lot of those films, I realized that a lot of the things that are cult hits now didn't do well at the time. They just, yeah, people just weren't ready for them or whatever it was. Although, 1982, all the the big blockbusters definitely that, stuck around you, that, your ETs. Yeah, yeah. that's some. Oh, no, Blade Runner didn't do well. No, Blade Runner yeah. didn't do well. The Thing didn't do well, and Tron didn't do well. But it, yeah. it came out in that six-week gap with... Uh, Conan, E.T., Star Trek II, uh, like a ridiculous amount of movies came out. And I think they just, I think they, those three fell through the cracks. I think there was part of just the viewing audience being spoiled for choice and not so much. Yeah, a isn't that funny that now I think, you know, listing all those movies that modern audiences would have as much respect and love for each and every single one of those whereas at the time it was just no this is obscure cult trash the thing <laughs> who who cares yeah well there's a, a lot of other social factors that went into it i think with the success mm. of the success the success of et nobody was looking to watch an, uh, a horror movie about aliens they wanted a nice yeah. a fluffy heartwarming family film about aliens and, uh, you could do both. Yeah, well, I, I sure did. I had a great time. Yeah, like an alien versus predator situation yeah. where that main female uh, protagonist kind of falls in love with the, the, the main predator boy. Oh, yeah. And and then, yeah, so you could do both. You, you could have all it. the scary aliens and then you can have some good aliens and you put it in one movie. Well, that does bring us to the end of episode 17 of Tron Uprising. And then some. And then some. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Animatronic. I've been Duncan Shields. And I have been Courtney Colson. And tune in next time for another episode of Animatronic. End End of of line. line.